So we're continuing our series. We're in the book of Ephesians and we're continuing this journey as we have uh, been on since I think May of last year approximately. And so we're about to come up on close to a full year of being in Ephesians. And so I'm so thankful that we've been able to go through this journey and we've come to the part of the book that is such a critical part of this book, of this letter. And this letter is written, written to Christians. This letter is written to people who have placed their faith in Christ. And we've seen the journey, right? We've seen who we are in Christ. We've seen all the spiritual blessings we've been given. But then we've also seen how we are to live because of who we are in Christ. We've seen because Christ has transformed our hearts, then we live different. We should live transformed lives in this world. But, but here's where this book is so critical. This last half of this chapter, chapter 6 is that we know that the enemy Satan, the enemy of our soul, the enemy of all of those who desire to be used by God, his desire and his plan for you is that you would be ineffective in your Christian life. His plan for you is that you would not grow into Christ's likeness. His plan for you is not just that you would not become like Christ. His plan for you is that you would never be used for him. Is that you would, you would always be intimidated to open your mouth. That you would always struggle with besetting sin. That you would always struggle in areas of your life to where you would be paralyzed and, and ineffective for kingdom purposes. And I want you to know that all of you, all of you are designed by God to be used by Him. To be used by Him in His purposes in the earth. Do you believe that? That, that your, your, your purpose as a believer is not just to come and assemble and listen to people use their giftings for the Lord through music and through preaching and through whatever other means that you see people use their gifting. The purpose that we see, even when we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, the purpose is that, is that as God's word is taught, that you would mature in the faith, that you would grow in your understanding of God's word, and that, and that as you would mature, that you would grow in maturity to do the work of the ministry. So that you would be used by God. So that is God's purpose, but at the same time, Running at the same time is the enemy's purposes. And that's what we looked at last week, that the Christian life is a battle. It's, it's a battle. It's a war. And we talked about some of you here, maybe you have thought, well, I don't really want to be in a battle. I thought the Christian life was not a battle. I thought it was, it was a life of ease and comfort and, and blessings. And, and, and there are blessings that come from being a Christian. But the moment that you stepped into faith, and you made Jesus the Lord of your life was the moment that, the, that, that Satan put a, put a bullseye on your back and said, I'm coming after that one because that one has potential to mess up my purposes and my plans. But one of, the, one of the key things we talked about last week that we cannot forget, even though there's a bullseye on my back and on, and on your back, it's a victory that's already been won. We fight, this fight that we're in, it's a fight from victory, not for victory. And that's the purpose of this section in Ephesians 6. The Apostle Paul said, this is all that God has done for you in Christ. And this is how you are to live. And now I want you to stand. Finally, brothers, finally, sisters, stand in the victory that Christ has won on your behalf. And this is the spiritual warfare. This is the battle. It's between what we know is true in God's word and the lies of the enemy. And that's where spiritual warfare is centered for us as Christians. What are we going to believe? What are we going to hold on to when the enemy is trying to attack us? To cause us to shrink back in our faith. To cause us to shrink back in our witness. To cause us to not be all that God has created us to be. What are we going to do? 
And the only, the only decision that we have is that we must stand. We must stand in the, in the evil day. And so I want to go back to the text. I want to read Ephesians 6, 10 through 14 to kind of get a running start here. So let's, let's go to the text. It says there, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And we're going to look at verse 14 here this morning. And verse 14 gives us the first piece of armor that we have to put on in this battle that we're in, this battle called the Christian life. This is the first piece of armor, verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. This is the first piece of armor that we're going to look at this morning. And so we need a little context, a little context when we're talking about, about fighting, about being in a battle. And the Apostle Paul, when he would have thought about a battle, about an army, he wouldn't have thought about an American soldier. And so when you think of an American soldier, you think of camouflage. And you think of certain types of weapons and certain type of, of, of gear that a, a, an American soldier would wear. But what the Apostle Paul would have been thinking of would have been a Roman soldier. And so here's what we know about Roman soldiers. And this is a little interesting. Is that Roman soldiers would have worn a tunic. Or would have looked like a kilt. Uh, a, a, a dress. Kilts, when you look at kilts, it looks, they seem so short. I, you know, I, I don't know, but it seems like it'd be a little bit longer, right? But it's a kilt. It's like a dress. When they, and when they would get dressed for battle, it was important that this belt, that they would wear a belt into battle because the belt would, would, would cinch up and would bring in all of the loose ends of that tunic. Because here's what's going to take place in a Roman battle. It's going to be hand-to-hand combat. And so if you're in hand-to-hand combat and you have this flowing tunic that that is an easy access for the enemy to grab a hold your your enemy to grab a hold of to pull you in you 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 must not do that you must put on that belt cinch up all the loose ends of your tunic it wasn't like football players you guys see football players nowadays uh what do they have on they they have on spandex right everything is so tight that's the reason they have that and it's kind of disgusting to look at but we all are gluttons for punishment and we watch it all the time but but that's what they do they wear tight pants and tight clothing to where they're not easy it's not easy to grab them and so this is kind of the picture of the tunic for the roman soldier this would have been the idea that the apostle paul is after is that we would have a belt that would pull in the loose ends and so that's the idea of the belt but but what's he talking about about truth the belt of truth we need the belt of truth in this battle as christians so there's two ideas behind the belt of truth first one is this objective truth it's the truth that we believe about God as revealed in his word so it's a belt of truth it's the objective truth it's God's word we believe this about who God is because it is revealed to us in scripture that's a part of the belt of truth that we wear the second idea is this is that it is experiential truth it's objective truth and that objective truth what does it do it transforms our minds and then changes our life and so we live out the truth that we understand right objective truth and experiential truth the living out of the objective truth of God's word or or another way to to phrase it it's 
It's truthfulness in your life. It's integrity in your life. You know God's word. God's word has transformed your mind and your heart. And so now you live according to that truth. You live in integrity, in truthfulness in your life. So this is the idea of the belt of truth is that the truth of God's word. So here's the picture. Our our enemy, Satan, desires to render us ineffective in the calling God has placed on us as believers. And he will use, listen to this, any loose end in our life that we have not submitted to the authority of God's word. You guys follow that? The enemy will will use any loose end in our life that we have not submitted to the objective truth of God's word. This belt of truth that it's supposed to pull in all these loose ends, all these, all these weaknesses, all these areas that the enemy can take advantage of. That's what the belt of truth does. We hear God's word taught and we grow and we mature and we change. It's the belt of truth. So as we are seeking to live our lives for the glory of God, seeking to please the Lord, Satan is also seeking. He's looking for opportunities to grab a hold of your life in any area that he sees can be used against us. Do you know that? He's a trickster. He's a schemer. And he knows your weaknesses and he wants to grab a hold of those things that you have not submitted to the authority of God's word. Any area that we have not anchored to the truth of God's word. So the Christian life is a battle, but in a, there's a parallel picture. This idea of loose ends, there's a, there's a parallel picture to the Christian life that's also seen as a race. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so if we're in the battle and we're, we're in the race, the loose ends must be pulled in and the weights must be let go. Can you imagine running a race, a marathon, with a heavy weight? Maybe like a heavy blanket on your shoulders, a heavy comforter that's soaking wet on your shoulders, or, or you put ankle bracelets that, 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 that are weights on you. I think, I think some, some runners will train with weights, but what do they do whenever, whenever they get ready to run? They take the weights off their ankles because they want to run the race to win. And so we're in a battle, we're in a race, and the loose ends must be sucked in with truth, and the heavy weights must be laid aside if we're going to be victorious in the battle, in the race. And so there's lots of things that we could talk about this morning. There's lots of things that we could say, that we could point and say, this is a loose end. This is, this is a weakness. This is a weight that I must lay aside. This is a, a loose end that I must pull together and submit it to the truth of God's word. And I could preach to you this morning, probably a 15 to 20 point message, but you guys would slowly trickle as, as I'm going probably through my fourth or fifth point, you might start seeing a slow, steady stream of people. So for the sake of, of all of that, I'm going to talk to you about three common loose ends. What are some common loose ends or heavy weights that the enemy uses against us while we are in the battle? What are some common areas the enemy takes advantage of in our life as Christians that he gets a hold of and he begins to wreak havoc in our thinking and in our life as Christians? The first one is this, the instability of bad beliefs. The instability of bad beliefs. And for me, This is where it all starts. This is what is so important in our Christian life. We must believe correctly. 
It's what we said at the beginning of this series, that it's about truth and lies. It's about truth and error. What are we going to believe? Jesus said in Matthew 7, he gave this parallel picture. He said, you're either going to be one of two people. There's going to be one of two people in this life. You're either going to be a person that hears the words of God and obeys them. Or you're going to be a person that hears the words of God and disobeys them. And the person who hears the word of God and obeys them, he says, will be likened to a person who builds his house on the rock. And when life, when the the winds and the waves beat on the house, beat on your life, your house will not crumble. Your house will not be ultimately destroyed. Your faith will not fail. Jesus looked at Peter. Do you remember the story before Peter denied Jesus three times? Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, Satan has asked for you. He's desired to have you. And, 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 and Jesus said, but I want you to know that I'm praying for you. He said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to try to bring your faith down. He wants to use difficulties in your life to bring your faith down. But Jesus said, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And so we need to be the people that have our lives built on the solid foundation of the truth of God's word that we put on the belt of truth, that objective truth that changes the way we live and we build our life on God's word. But if we're not careful, even as believers, we can be like the people who hear the word of God and don't obey God's word. And and Jesus said our life is like a house built on sand. And when the winds and the waves of life, the troubles of life, the storms of life beat upon us, what, what, what happens to our faith? It crumbles. It's like sand. It gives way. We must believe correctly. We cannot allow the instability of bad beliefs, bad doctrine to, to, to get root in our heart. I want you to know this. All of us here, all of us here are theologians. All of us here. I have to be a theologian. I am a theologian. What is a theologian? A theologian is somebody who studies God. Theology is the study of God. So this is what we're doing right now. You are a theologian in a theological study of who God is and what his word says and how it applies to our life. That's what a theologian does. We study God. And, and so it's not, the question is not, will you be a theologian? The question is, is will you be a bad theologian? Will you be a biblical theologian? Are you going to be a biblical studier of God? Are you going to allow God's objective truth to impact your beliefs? So we all are theologians, and here's, here's the reality, that there are bad beliefs that are out there about God, about his word, about you, about salvation, about the gospel. There are many bad beliefs that are out there. Ephesians 4 tells us this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. To the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. So, 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 so that we would come to mature manhood. And so that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by what? By every wind of doctrine. It's, it's the picture of instability. The, the wind, is, wind is, is unstable, right? It's blowing here or there. You don't know where it's going and where it's coming from, but it makes things unstable. So, so children who listen to false doctrine, who don't understand the full breadth of, of life and reality, they're like, unstable and so when bad doctrine comes it brings instability into your life but 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 the apostle paul is saying here that god's word through the teaching of it will will help us to not be tossed to and fro by the waves by human cunning 
by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so this is why it's important that we have the belt of truth that will guard our hearts and our minds against bad beliefs. So here's what I want to do. Again, I could come up with another 20-point list within my first point of bad beliefs that are out there. But for the sake of your sanity and your brain exploding, we're going to talk about just a few. Here's here's some examples of bad beliefs that will leave us on, 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 on unstable footing in this battle that we're in in life. Teaching that has a low view of God. Teaching that has a low view of God. What does that mean? Well, here's what I want to tell you about God. The God that's revealed in Holy Scripture. The God that's revealed in Holy Scripture is holy. He's a holy God. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's just. He's almighty. He's Lord. The phrase, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is used more than any phrase in all of the New Testament. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. And if it is His kingdom, then that makes Him the king. He's in charge. He's Lord. And if we're not careful, we can have a low view of God. That God is, that God is like us. We want to reduce God down to, to, to uh, an understanding that is on par with our thinking. But God is beyond us. He is past finding out. He is past fully understanding. He has revealed himself to us in ways that we can, we can, we can grasp and try to wrap our mind around. But God is infinite. He's holy. He's just. He's mighty. He's powerful. You know, there was this song that came out back in the 60s or 70s and we kind of make fun of it. It was called Jesus is my, Jesus is my friend. I remember one message I preached at the, at the lighthouse. I preached a message about the holiness of God and his power and his might. And I played that video. It's hilarious. And it's a really a corny song, but it's just a song they sing over and over again. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my friend. And I want you to know that Jesus can be your friend. He can be your friend if you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But Jesus is a holy God and a just God. And we can't lay aside character traits and and the nature of who God is for something that just makes us feel good. God is holy. And so teachings that bring a low view of God and his authority and his power are dangerous to us. Secondly, teaching that overemphasizes our significance. Teaching that overemphasizes our significance. And now this, again, this can be many different things that are taught in this vein and in this line of false teaching. But here's what I want to tell you. That mankind is not inherently good. Teaching that overemphasizes our significance will tell you that, that man's just basically good. And that we, we're, you know, if, 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 if man can just get a hold of, of, of their sinful urges and can just restrain their flesh, then man's basically good and humanity will get good on its own. But what do we know from Scripture? Man is born in sin and iniquity from their mother's womb. And that our tendency is not to good, but our tendency is to evil perpetually. And that we must be redeemed and born again. And that nature that is, is bent towards evil must be crucified. It must be buried in Christ so that we can become new creations. That's one area of bad teaching that could be out there. And another area of bad teaching that overemphasizes our significance is, is, that, is that sometimes you can hear teaching where, where everything that is taught is that, is that you become the center of the Bible. You become the center of the story. You become, you become 
David. You become Samson. You become the heroes of the Bible. And that's the point of Christianity is for you to become a hero, for you to win, for you to be successful. And here's what the Bible teaches in contrary to that is that the, the purpose of your life is that you would bring glory to God. We are not the center of the Bible. Who's the center of the Bible? It's Jesus. It is always Jesus and will always be Jesus. And here's what happens with that type of teaching is that whenever we hear a steady dose of messages where we're the heroes and, and we're the center of the narrative and all the messages are about us, here's what happens. When life gets tough, when life gets hard and you don't win, and the stone in your sling doesn't slay the giant. What do you do then? See, we create ideas about God that are not true. We create ideas about the gospel that are not true. I, I want to say my, my fourth one before my third one. Here's, here's another area that, that kind of flows off of this one is that teaching that adds to the gospel. Teaching that adds to the gospel. This kind of flows hand in hand. The gospel is not... The, God, the core of the gospel is not for us to have a happy life. The core of the gospel is so that we would worship and glorify God for who he is. So that we would bring glory to his name. Now we all know that when we surrender our life to Christ, that the Lord changes us and gives us peace and joy. And, 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 and not just happiness, but real joy in this life. But that is not the core of Christianity. And these are types of messages. Another one is teaching that reduces a Christian life. To a formula to follow. Follow these steps. Confess these words. And you'll get the results you desire. It's a false teaching. It's a false paradigm. That's not what the Bible is for. The Bible is for your, is for your spiritual growth. So that you would, would learn who God is. His character and his nature. So that you would grow into Christ's likeness. And so that you would ultimately glorify him in your life. And so this is what I would tell you. We need spiritual discernment. And if we're not careful, this loose end of bad beliefs, this low view of God, this high view of ourself, this idea about what life is all about, whenever trouble comes, when the battle comes, when the enemy is there attacking, he will grab a hold of these false beliefs. And here's what happens in the battle. Hear me. Here's what happens in the battle. You will preach to yourself when you struggle. You will preach to yourself what you believe to be true about God. You will preach to yourself what you believe is true about what life is all about. And if you are un, on the unstable ground of false beliefs and false teaching, it will be unstable. and You will have nowhere to stand. We must believe correctly about who God is, what the gospel is, and what our plan is in all of that. Hebrews 5 says this. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For, 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 for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. Listen to this. Solid food is for the mature who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to discern, to distinguish between good and evil. That's what we need. The greatest need in the body of Christ is spiritual discernment. To be able to distinguish between truth and error. And this is one loose end. 
the instability of bad beliefs. It's a loose end the enemy can get a hold of when we're in the battle. The second is this. This is going to transition our our feel of the message, but this is a very important one that we would look at. Another common loose end is the heavy weight of sin. The heavy weight of sin. This is a loose end that we can deal with in our life as Christians. Sin. And some people believe falsely about the Christian life. They believe in, in an idea of perfectionism. That, that as a Christian, that you would eventually, this side of heaven, become perfect. And we know that's not true. That's not biblical. We believe in the doctrine of sanctification, of progressive sanctification. That when we become believers in Jesus Christ, the old man is crucified with Christ. That's the old desires to live according to the flesh is crucified. And only one new man is resurrected, right? It's a, it's a, it's, it's a new man in Christ with new desires. But here's where sanctification is at. Sanctification, this journey of battling sin, is training your flesh, your mind, your will, and your emotions to obey your new man, your new nature. Your old man with its old desires is gone. You have a flesh that is remaining that was trained by your old man. Do you follow me? Your flesh was trained by your old sinful man. Now your new, your new spirit man must train your tongue, your thoughts, your actions. You must train the inward you so that you will progressively become like Christ. And that's the battle of sin, battling sin. First John, First John 1, 8 through 9 says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The Christian life is a life that is progressively becoming conformed into the image of Christ. Sanctification in the life of the believer is the ongoing process of the training of our flesh. Listen, to say yes to the Holy Spirit and to say no to our flesh. That's the battle. And the enemy will use besetting sins. He will use sins that you've not submitted to the belt of truth. He will use sins that you and weaknesses and temptations that are common to you to grab a hold of your life. But we must put on the belt of truth. How, how should we approach sin in our life as Christians? What, what should our approach be? I think the Apostle Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 9. Listen to, listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So that we're in a battle. We're in a race. We're all running. We're all in a battle. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I don't live my life aimlessly as a Christian. I do not box. I'm not in a battle that I'm just beating the air. It's not an aimless fight. It's a pointed fight. I understand I'm in a fight and the enemy wants to grab a hold of my life and disqualify me. So what does the Apostle Paul say? I don't fight aimlessly, but what do I do? I discipline my body. And some other translations say, I buffet my body. I beat my body and keep it under control. Here's, here's the key. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That's the approach to remaining sin in my life and in your life. You gotta beat it. You gotta kill it. 
you gotta fight it. It won't fight, you, you won't fight it, you won't fight it by staying, by staying complacent. You won't fight it by just acknowledging that it's there. It has to be effort on our part to say no to the flesh, to use the resources of God's word, of, of fellowship within the body of Christ, all the resources that God has given us to fight. Some of you here, we were praying for us for the service this morning, and this is what I felt. Here's some of you here, as believers, you don't, you don't know you're in a battle. And you're living aimlessly. And you're not living up to the potential that God has for you in his kingdom. And it's because you're just kind of coasting in your spiritual life. And I, I just want to tell you this. It's time to wake up. It's time to awaken to the reality of what's going on in your life. And you, if, if you don't awaken, the enemy is just going to gra- keep a hold of your life. And you're going to keep tripping up on the same things you, you, you continue to be tripped up on. You must awaken to the reality and do as the Apostle Paul says. We must not box in the air aimlessly. We must, we must discipline our bodies. Recognize that this is a battle and that remaining sin is a loose end that we must submit to God and to his word. You know, as an example, a great example in the Old Testament of a, of a man that struggled with sin. And that's King David. King David, King David looked out on his balcony one day as king and he saw a woman that looked beautiful and he said he wanted to be with her. And so he got his servants and said, go get that woman. I would like her for my my own pleasure. And he gets, he has pleasure with her and and she becomes pregnant and and he realizes that this is bad and and that he wants to try to cover up his sin. And so he covers up his sin by sending Bathsheba's husband to the front line in the battle to ensure that he will not return home from war. So he commits adultery and then he commits murder. He's complicit to murder. And over a year, he conceals his sin. Listen to Psalm 32. This is what happens when we don't aggressively deal with the besetting sins in our life. Listen to the psalmist David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to this. For when I kept silent for when I kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long that's what secret sin does that's what sin that we are not that we're not willing to let go of and present it to the truth of God's word to 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 put on the belt of truth Uh, we 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 waste away we groan all day long for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer that's what happens in our life whenever we, 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 we give the enemy a loose end to grab a hold of a besetting sin in our life. But what should our response be? Listen to David, Psalm 51. He gets confronted by the prophet, by, by, by the prophet and the prophet comes in and confronts him and he repents. Listen to this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin, they are, it's ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, listen to this, you delight in truth in the inward being. That belt of truth that comes into our inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me. 
Cleanse me. Do a deep cleansing with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones, those ones he felt were wasting away, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold with me a willing spirit. What does that take? That takes humility. It takes confession and repentance. Humility, confession, and repentance. So I don't know, I don't know what you're going through in your life. But here's what I want to tell you, that, that as a believer, if you, if, you are, if you are struggling with loose ends of sin and temptation in your life, confess it, repent, bring it before the Lord. Don't allow the enemy to keep a hold of your life. It, it, there's so much at stake. You can be used for God and his glory in this life, but your usefulness will be hindered as long as you don't cut off those loose ends. As long as you don't submit the loose ends of sin in your life to the truth of God's word. Your, your usefulness will be hindered and your fellowship with the Lord will be hindered. You've got to cut it off. You have to let it go. And here's what I would tell you. 1 Corinthians ten twelve says this. This is for those of us who feel like maybe we don't have sin. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. All of us, from me to you, across the board, we're not greater than any sin that's out there. It's only by the grace of God that we're able to stand. And if we don't watch out what we believe and pull in those, those unstable beliefs and, and we don't submit our life to the truth of God's word and cut off the loose ends of sin and temptation, any one of us can fall to temptation. Any one of us can make a royal mess of our life and hurt the people that we love the most. We must submit to the truth of God's word. The third common loose end, and this is going to, move towards the the ending of this message is this. It's the darkness of discouragement. The darkness of discouragement. So we need to believe correctly. We need correct beliefs about God, about his word, about who we are, about what our purpose in life is. And we need to cut off the loose ends and the heavy weights of sin that so easily beset us. But here's an area here that I believe that a lot of us struggle in as well. And that's discouragement. The darkness of discouragement. So what does it mean to be discouraged? To be discouraged means that we have lost our courage. It's discouraged. Discouraged. We've lost our courage. The circumstances of our life have caused us to believe things that are not true about God, about ourselves, and about our situations. Discouragement will influence us to quit, to give up. Have you been there? You ever had thoughts of quitting because you're discouraged, because you've lost your courage for life? I've been there. I've been there in my life. It's, I'm just going to quit. Forget it. I, I, I said this word in staff meeting last week. I said fooey. I was frustrated with something in staff meeting and Matt Carnes told me I said fooey like three or four times. Just fooey on it, right? I don't know what fooey means, but just fooey on it, right? Just going to quit. I'm so discouraged. I'm so in despair that I just, I'm tempted just to quit. I'm tempted just to throw in the towel. It's not worth it. It's discouragement. Discouragement will influence us to quit, to give up. That's, those, those are thoughts from the enemy. Give up, throw in the towel. Discouragement causes us to forget what we know is true about God and his faithfulness. What did we sing in that song earlier, that third song, The Goodness of God? 
That's what we know is true of God. But when we're going through difficult circumstances, we are tempted to doubt that God is still good. How can God be good if I suffer? And that's connected, that, that thought, that question is connected back to bad beliefs. Because we believe something that's not true about God. We believe something that's not true about us. We believe the false gospel that, that God has promised that we would not suffer. But if, if we're connected with good beliefs, when we're in the middle of discouragement, we can cast down those lies about God that tells us that he's not good, that he's not faithful, that he won't come through, that he won't provide, that he won't bring healing, and, and, and these lies that, that our suffering is meaningless and purposeless. That's what discouragement does in our heart, but we must be reminded of who God is. But discouragement tries to steal that from us. Have you been there? Yeah, we've all been there. The prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19 was there. He was very discouraged. You remember the story, 1 Kings 19? Elijah was put to the test by 450 prophets of Baal, false prophets for a false god. And they said, which god's going to speak? Prophets of Baal said, our god's going to speak. And, and we, we want to see if who, whose god is true. Let's create a test. And so they built an altar. And so I love that, that the false prophets got to go first. And so what did these 450 prophets do? They cut themselves. They cut themselves for hours. And they pleaded for hours to their false god, Baal, to come and bring fire to the altar, consume the sacrifice. And they went on and they went on and nothing happened after hours and hours. And then what happened with Elijah? Elijah comes and, and he says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to dig a trench around the altar. I'm going to fill it with water. And you're going to dump water on top of the altar. And I'm going to pray to my God, the true God, Jehovah God, Yahweh God, the one and only God. And he's going to consume that altar with fire. And he prayed to his God, prayed to Yahweh God, the one true God. And what happened? The, the altar was consumed with fire and it licked up all the water. There was not even any water left. And Elijah, by the demonstration of God's power, demonstrated to the prophets of Baal and all those that were witnessing this, who the true God was. And it says that the 450 prophets of Baal were killed that day. Were killed that day. And so Elijah should be on a mountaintop, right? Just saw God's mighty power. He moved in a powerful way. And then a little bitty Jezebel comes and says, I got a message for you, mighty man of God, mighty prophet. I have something that I want to tell you and, and something I want to say. Let's look at 1 Kings 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then the Jezebel sent a message, a messenger to Elijah. It's not even Jezebel. It's a messenger saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She said, I'm going to kill you before tomorrow. Then he was afraid. Really? You just saw God's justice on 450 false prophets. You saw the fire from heaven come and consume the altar. And you're afraid of a threat from a messenger, from a, from, from a, 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 a wife of a king? I was afraid. He was afraid. And he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. 
And he asked that he might not die. And he asked that he might die. Saying, it is, it's enough. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life. For I am no better than my father's. Didn't believe in suicide. He knew that in their beliefs, that suicide meant it was done for him. So he said, Lord, I'm not going to kill myself, but just take, Lord, you take my life. He was suicidal. He was discouraged, depressed, and suicidal. What do you have to, how do you have to, what, take, what does it take to get to that point? Discouraged. Elijah had had it. He's done. He's so discouraged that he doesn't want to live. He's so fearful of Jezebel and her threats that he has forgotten what he knows of God. Elijah had seen God move in a powerful, miraculous way. He had seen God's enemies defeated before him. But now he was paralyzed by fear and discouragement. So Elijah is in a cave. He goes, finds a cave for 40 days. God provides food for him for 40 days in the cave. By a miracle, birds come and feed him for 40 days. And then God says he wants to talk, 1 Kings 19. And he said, go and stand out on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. It was in the fire earlier, right? It wasn't in the fire this time. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. He knew God was there. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Listen to why Elijah was discouraged. Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. It means I've had a heart for the Lord. I've had a heart for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. When you're discouraged, that's how you feel, right? There's nobody else left. It's just me. Nobody else understands. Nobody else knows. It's just me. I am the only one left, and they seek my life to take it away. And this is the powerful switch right here. This is the powerful turn right here. This is what we must get a hold of. This is what we must let go of the bad beliefs that we have believed about God and his ways. And what we should expect in this life, this battle of a life that we're in, this Christian life that we're in. We must let go of these ideas that are false. Here's where it turns for Elijah and here's where it must turn for us. Elijah is questioning, God, I'm alone. There's nobody else that's here. I'm discouraged. I'm despondent. And now God is going to tell him information that he doesn't know. Do you, do you know that? Do you know that? You need to be reminded if you've forgotten. God knows things that you don't. God knows things that you don't know. Isn't that comforting? (laughs) Doesn't that comfort your heart? That comforts my heart. That God knows things that I don't. I don't understand why things happen. I don't understand why life is a struggle. I don't understand why this battle has to be like it is. And when I'm discouraged, I need to be reminded that God knows more than me. Elijah could only see his belief, and he sincerely believed it enough to want to lose his life. His sincere belief was that he was alone and that there was nobody else in all of the nation of Israel that was wanting to serve the Lord. He sincerely believed that. But he believed incorrect. What, did, what was the knowledge that God had? Verse 18, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel 
all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. He said, Elijah, you don't know the full picture. You think you're alone. You think I've forgotten you. You think I've removed myself from your situation. I'm here to tell you that you're not alone. I'm here to tell you that I have 7,000 other people that have not bowed the knee to Baal. They've not worshipped at the altar of Baal. They've not kissed the feet of Baal. They serve me. And you need to be reminded. We need to all be reminded in those moments of our discouragement and suffering. Listen to this. Discouragement and suffering is spiritual warfare. Discouragement and suffering is spiritual warfare. It's a fight. What are we going to cling to? We've got to cling to a correct belief about who God is and his plan and his, his power and his ability and his faithfulness and his goodness. Discouragement and suffering is spiritual warfare. We must fight to silence the lies about God and his goodness. We must fight to silence the lies that God has forgotten us. We must fight to silence the thoughts of despair. We must fight to remember that God is always at work even when we can't perceive it. And that is the message that God was giving to Elijah. Elijah was used to the miraculous, the fire. God wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind. Where was he? A still, small voice. That's the message. We must fight to remember that God is always at work even when we can't perceive it. Elijah, you can't see it. You don't perceive it, but I'm at work. I got 7,000 others just like you. Just as he dealt with Elijah, God does not have to appear visibly to be present. Even when we do not feel him, he is with us and working out his plan in unimaginable ways. The Lord is with us in the silent, unremarkable moments of our lives to do extraordinary things. I'm going to say that again. The Lord is with you in the silent, unremarkable moments of your life to do extraordinary things. Amen? So what are the loose ends in your life today? Are there areas of belief that you need to submit to the authority of God's word, to the belt of truth? You need to fasten on that belt of truth. There are beliefs you've believed incorrectly. You've got to submit to God's word. Maybe, maybe you have an area of sin that you need to humbly, as David did, humbly repent of, confess, and turn from. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn. Are, are you discouraged this morning? Does the enemy have a hold of your thoughts? You feel paralyzed by despair and anxiety? So here's what I want to tell you. Whatever the loose ends are, whatever the area is that the Lord, that, that the enemy has a hold of in your life, surrender them to the Lord today. Lay them down to the Lord today. Say, Lord, Lord, I, I, I want to know correctly about who you are and your ways and your word. I don't want to believe false gospels and false beliefs about, about who you are and, and what is important in this life. And, and I want to lay aside every sin that easily besets me. And, and Lord, I'm, maybe, Lord, I'm discouraged this morning. And I want to submit that discouragement to you. Won't you stand your feet with me this morning? So I know, I know for sure, I'm 100% sure, 100% positive that there are people in here that are struggling with any one of those areas or maybe all three at the same time. 
That's all of us. If we ever get to the point where we think we're not, we have deceived ourselves, but we're all there. We all struggle with sin, with discouragement and believing incorrectly about God. So let's all surrender. Once you, once you close your eyes with me this morning, let's just surrender to the Lord. Just the last few moments, just you and the Lord. The Lord knows, he sees, he's at work. God, we surrender our hearts to you this morning. God, we are desperate for you. God, we're desperate for you. We're desperate for you this morning. God, we surrender to you. We humbly surrender to you this morning. God, and we lay down, we lay down all of our struggles. God, the sin that so easily besets us, we lay it down. We humbly submit and repent. God, the discouragement that we find ourselves in, God, sometimes, Lord, it feels like we don't know a way out from this discouragement and these thoughts that the enemy is using against us. But Lord, we lay it down at your feet. Lord, remind us, remind us today. Let us leave today encouraged and reminded that just like with Elijah, that you are working in ways that we cannot see, that even we cannot perceive at times. Remind us of that today. So Lord, we surrender to you and we just declare to you today that we're desperate for you. We need you in this battle. We need you in this life, this Christian life that has so many ups and downs. God, I thank you for your people here today. Precious in your sight, beloved of you, beloved of God. I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them. Thank you for the purposes and plans you have for them, gospel purposes and plans. I pray that you would use them in powerful ways to testify of your faithfulness and your goodness in this life. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.